0: hard sayings of of Jesus and sometimes it's not that what Jesus says is complicated but the application of what he says is extremely difficult and uh, I I find it fascinating that Matthew's gospel in uh, this section just continues to be hard saying after hard saying hard teaching after hard teaching It's like Matthew said, here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to stack all these together so you can see what life in the kingdom is supposed to look like. And that's the case here in Matthew chapter 18. Now, Jesus has just talked about putting the interest of others ahead of himself. In the prior paragraph, he made a clear argument that he by no means needed to pay the temple tax because uh, that temple was his, for his father, and he's the son, and he's exempt. However, so as not to cause an offense, he goes ahead and pays it anyway. And that sets up a very curious, uh, discussion that now unfolds that is not only actually in chapter 18, but is going to carry itself through chapter 19 and into chapter 20 about the concept of humility. All right, you'll notice what happens there in Matthew chapter 18 and verse one. We're told there that the disciples then come up to Jesus and they say, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? All right. And I think that's an interesting question. And notice he don't say now who's the greatest on all the earth, but in the kingdom of heaven. So who's the greatest in your kingdom? This is going to come up a few times. You might remember that we're going to look at in a little while. You have the mother of James and John will come up to Jesus and say, "Now you're going to let my boys sit at your right hand and your left hand, right when you when you come in your kingdom." There seems to be within the disciples a concern about position, about status, and so they ask this question here: "Well, who is the greatest?" In the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to notice how Jesus goes about illustrating this picture. In verse 2 it says he calls a child to him and puts him in the midst of them. And says to them truly I say to you. Unless you turn and become like children. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I want you to think about a couple of pictures that immediately Jesus puts forward. And the first one is a little bit easy to run past, but it is really important. As you will notice that Jesus puts the child in front of them. And then he says, you know, the first thing you guys need to do is turn. The way that you are thinking about things is completely wrong. Your concern about status, about importance about who's in charge, about who has authority. He says, there's a real problem here because if you don't change the way you're thinking, you're never going to enter into this kingdom. You can't be worried about your status. You can't be worried about yourself. You can't be worried about your position. And you have the disciples all wanting to know, well, where do we stand? Who's the greatest here? And Jesus says first, You better rethink how you're thinking. You better kind of consider your question and go, there's a problem with worrying about that. And then you will notice that he extends this picture a little bit more. And he says, you need to become like children. Now, this is probably the hard saying where people have looked at this and go, okay, what does it mean to become like children? Uh, you know, go fight with them in the sandbox. You know, what, what are we looking at when they say you need to be like children? And sometimes people come up with a lot of characteristics about children that you might be able to argue. Maybe they have that characteristic and maybe they don't. You know, sometimes, oh, well, they're really innocent. Well, sometimes, I guess. <laughs> sometimes, maybe not. Uh, what is Jesus pointing to? And one of the things that, that is very important in thinking about what Jesus would refer to. In talking about, I want you to become like children, is the idea of status, is the idea of significance. In the Roman world, children did not have a whole lot of status. They were not significant. And to be fair, even within our culture, we have a degree of that. You are considered a minor, unable to make decisions for yourself until you hit an appropriate age of 18. Even in our society, we have a sense of children don't have the same social status. Well, it was even more so in the first century. And I want you to think about Jesus using that picture and saying, what you need to do to belong to this kingdom is, one, you need to change the way you think about yourself in regards to status and then become like children, lower yourself. And you'll notice verse four says that whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. NIV, I think, really gets gets its, its hands around the idea very well. Whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's trying to drive at the concept of status and how one would think about oneself. We need to ultimately lower ourselves. And notice how he pushes that even a little bit more in verse 5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. You think about what it's e- how it is easy to deal with, with little children, how it's easy to kind of be dismissive, right? You're like, oh, okay, but, you know. Let the grown-ups talk, right? <laughs> There's an easy way to see what Jesus is doing here and talking about how there can be perceptions about how we look at children. And the idea is to say, you're not going to look at yourself to such a high status. I'm important. Don't you know who I am? I have status. I need to have the attention here. But to lower oneself to the status of a child to a status of insignificance, a lowly position before other people. And so his first point is that to be a disciple is really all about humility. And I find it fascinating how Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew has connected these two ideas together because the prior paragraph was all of life is about submission. And now he's saying all of life is about humility, about lowering self. If you want to belong to the kingdom of heaven, you need to turn and lower yourself. You need to accept the lowest bar and not think of yourself or think highly of yourself or worry about status or worry about position. Change your way of thinking. In trying to illustrate that idea, I don't know if these things still exist much anymore after COVID. (laughs) But when we were kids... One of the best things about getting to go to a fast food restaurant, and I will say in my life, that was extremely rare. (laughs) But if you got to go to the fast food restaurant, so many of them had these kids' playgrounds. And there is something interesting about the kids' playgrounds is that none of them have six foot doorways. All of them are about three feet high. And the adult, well, you know, there goes the kid. The kid doesn't even duck Vroom, right on in. And as the adult, you're trying to get down and say, okay, are you all right in there? I mean, trying to get up in there is, is next to impossible. And that's the imagery that Jesus is conjuring to enter. You have to lower yourself. You're going to have to lower how you think. You're going to have to lower who you are in terms of status and significance Bring yourself down if you're going to be able to enter in. And the rest of this chapter gives applications about what that looks like in terms of, okay, well, what does this humility look like? What does it look like as we interact with each other and in the world? What does that that lowering of self ultimately look like? And you'll notice that Jesus begins to illustrate that idea. Notice in in verse 6, he says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin. So notice the metaphor is changing here. He has put the child in the middle and used the child as an illustration. But now the little child represents believers. It represents followers of Christ. That's what he says there in verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin. It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and drowned in the depth of the sea. Have you ever thought about the seriousness of that declaration? Whoa. (laughs) Whoever causes another person who believes in me to sin, you're better off just jumping in the depths of the sea. There is a seriousness that Jesus has toward causing other people to sin, to stumble, to fall away. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Is this out of place or does this fit what he's saying about humility and lowering Himself? You know, it seems a little bit jarring. And then whoever causes someone like this to stumble, it'd be better if they were cast into the sea. Than to cause someone to stumble so as to fall away. And I want us to think about the seriousness of what he's trying to get across. That so often, what the problem is, is that we harm other people spiritually because we're thinking about ourselves. In fact, you'll notice how he extends that in verse 7. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. He says, there's going to be all kinds of stumbling blocks, all kinds of temptations out there. The whole world is full of ways to trip. Don't be one of them. Don't be a reason for someone to trip and fall. Don't do something that would damage their faith. Cause them to stumble and fall away. But, and I will tell you as I, as I think about that picture. Of how disciples are supposed to care about the spiritual welfare. Of other believers. How many souls have been damaged. On the altar of self-promotion. what i want what i think what should be best for me without regards for the other and you've probably seen it you may have accident unfortunately experienced it somewhere where what it is is faith is damaged because somebody wants to elevate themselves Somebody wants to make sure that they're at the forefront. Everybody knows, hey, I've got the power around here. I'm I'm the one who, who makes the decisions. I've got the authority. Don't you know that I get a say in this? How many souls have been damaged by that? How many people have fallen away because of foolish spiritual leadership, whether it be from shepherds or teachers or preachers or Leaders, or even other people of a congregation, would say that you would cause somebody to sin. Jesus wants to underscore the seriousness of this. Don't you dare be the cause for someone to stumble. And it's really easy to cause people to stumble when you're elevating yourself. That's the flow. Here's the disciples hey, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus says, you better lower yourself on down or you're by no means going to enter this kingdom. And the kind of repercussions and damage that can happen, it really should just be terrifying to us. I read those words and I find that illustration in verse six, absolutely terrifying. Better to just cast yourself into the sea then go about elevating yourself and causing people to fall away. It makes me wonder what judgment day will look like of how accountable people are going to have to be for the kinds of self-elevation and self-promotion and self-praise and the effects that that had on so many other people, causing people to walk away, to fall away, Because of our lack of humility, Jesus places one of the greatest condemnations. In fact, verse 7, woe to the one by whom temptations come. We are called to be a people who lower ourselves and express such humility that we would not want to cause another person to stumble and fall away. We are so keenly aware of people's souls that we want to make sure that we are not damaging anybody's faith in our interactions with them. That's his first application of humility. The next verse almost seems like another left turn, but he's still in the topic of humility. Notice the next thing he says in verse eight. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell fire. First, he talks about the application of humility of not causing other people to sin and fall away. But notice there is a concern here about stumbling blocks now. And if you've grown up in the pews, you've probably heard this picture. If something causes you to sin, you need need to cut it off. But our context here in Matthew's account is one of humility and lowering self. So what is he trying to communicate about humility and cutting off stumbling blocks? Why would this be the context? Why, Jesus, are you telling us you need to change your way of thinking and and be humble in your thinking and lower yourself in the way you think so that you cut off these stumbling blocks? I submit to you that probably one of the things that we often have as a failure is that we think that we are so strong in our fight against sin and Satan that we just don't need to cut off our stumbling blocks. I've got this. Uh, I know I crashed and burned yesterday, but I'm, in, I'm getting control of it. I'm in charge of it. I've got this. This kind of belief that I don't need to cut out stumbling blocks in my life. I, I can do this. I believe Satan's great deception to us is to think that we can continue to keep temptations to sin, temptations to our faith, all surrounding us, and we're going to be okay. We're not going to do we, we We won't be tempted. And so we just leave them all in place. And you have Jesus giving us a picture here of Would you have the humility to cut out anything and everything in your life that causes you to stumble? Be willing to make those hard decisions. Be willing to do what is necessary in areas that you know are areas of weaknesses. Areas you know you trip and fall. Areas that are tempting you to walk away from God. Be active and do something about it. Now I'm going to be really challenging because I think the context here for Matthew is actually talking about people. He's giving this warning of don't be a reason for somebody to stumble and then starts using an illustration of hands and feet and eyes. Sometimes we allow People who have great spiritual weight in our lives to lead us away. That you have people in your life that are tempting you to walk away from God. That are tempting you to not do the things that you know you're supposed to do for God. Tempting to, for you to do things that you know you should not be doing. And we have to be very aware of those influences. It's not just merely, hey, cut off whatever technological thing that may be troubling you. Think about the people that you have in your life that are making you want to walk away from God and be concerned about that. Are there changes you need to make so that that temptation doesn't hit you that way anymore? Are there things that you can do? There are some people you can't cut off. I know that. But can you work with the influence and make it change so that it's not a temptation to pull you away? There is such a seriousness here about it is so important to not allow stumbling blocks to remain in your life that he says, you know, it would be better to cut off hands and feet and eyes. You you see how every sentence Jesus says is like extremely serious. First was, hey, better to drown in the sea. Now he says, better to start cutting off things. Because it's so easy to allow stumbling blocks to wreck our faith. Can I take you back to verse seven? Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. The world is full of it. Do you need more? Do you need more temptations to sin? Do you need to intentionally put more stumbling blocks in the way? Or are there things and people that can be moved out of the way for a cleaner path to walk with God? We're being called to make hard decisions here. We are being called to really evaluate the relationships that we have with people and how we can affect those relationships and change those relationships so that we are not tempted to walk away from God. Very serious picture that he gives, but that we would have the humility to identify our weaknesses, to identify our areas of stumbling and to do something about it. And not just say, "Ah, I'm going to do better next time. Get rid of those weaknesses and those temptations. And one more application of it. Look at verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Notice he, he, we are not in a new scene. We're still, you can imagine the, the, the child still sitting in the middle while Jesus is doing this. As he's just talking about humility and lowering himself. And he keeps talking about these different arenas. And here's the kid just standing there. And, and Jesus going. And, and while we're still talking about these little ones, let me, let me keep going about humility and lowering self. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that gone astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that went astray. Final picture of humility. We've talked about the humility to not cause others to stumble. Have the humility to see the stumbling blocks in your own life and move them aside. And now the humility to not despise others. There is a great picture here of the heart of God. You have to love when Jesus gives us these great windows into the character of God. And this picture is very simple, very concise. That the Lord loves sheep equally. He loves Every single sheep. And it's clearly the basis of why he's talking about stumbling blocks and people falling away. Because here is the heart of God. The heart of God is, I don't want to lose any of my sheep. Notice how it says how he puts it there, and when he says in verse 14. So it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. I don't want to see any of them gone. So make sure you're not the reason for it and make sure you're not one of them. It is the father's heart that every single sheep would be rescued. He doesn't want any of them to be lost. And so make sure you don't cause them to be lost and make sure you're not one of the lost by allowing stumbling blocks in your life. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus transitions this in verse 15. So if your brother causes you to sin. So many lessons start right there. Back up. What have we been talking about? Caring about sheep, caring about souls, not wanting any to be lost, and making sure that we're not the reason that they stumble. And I want you to notice now. Jesus then turns and starts talking about our situation. That verses fifteen through seventeen. Let's go ahead and read it. If you've grown up the pews, you've heard this one a million times. But let's read it. Verse fifteen. In our context, what I want you to see is that the point of verse 15 is not, okay, somebody has sinned against me, and so I need to make them grovel to me because they've done something wrong. You know, they hurt my feelings, and they and they need to come tell me that they're sorry, and until they do that, we're not going to be friends. That's not what we're talking about here. This action is not based on you've been wronged and you need to make sure they make it right by you. I am weary of this text being used that way. You wronged me and so you need to make it right. That is not what this is about. This text is about they've sinned and you're scared for their soul. This has nothing to do with you. If it was, it would be the total opposite of what the whole chapter has been about. The whole chapter is it's not about you. It's about them. And you don't want to see them sin and fall away because God loves every single sheep. And God doesn't look at it and go, well, I lost one. At least we got 99. That's all right. 99%. That's pretty good. If someone sins against you, it's not that they need to make it up to you but you are so scared for their soul that you feel compelled to have to do something. You have to talk to them about it. So you're not going to them with the framework of, you know, hey, by the way, you sinned against me. Did something wrong. I'd like to see some penance around here. You're going to them because you want them rescued. They've sinned. You know about it. And you want to be the means of bringing them back. Because you know, verse 14, the heart of God is that he doesn't want a single soul lost. That's why after saying it's not his will that any would perish, the very next breath is. And so if somebody sins... You've got to have the humility and the heart to go for the rescue. And I want you to notice that the very next picture is if they don't listen, verse 16, you get one or two other people. Why would we get one or two other people? Is it because we want to be right and make sure the other person grovels and if we get three people, we might really put some pressure on them? (laughs) No. We're so concerned about this sin that has caused them to stumble and fall that I need to get some more help. And I'm going to bring in some spiritual people who can come into their lives and try to help rescue them. And if that doesn't work, it says, then tell it to the church. See that in verse 17. Why do we need to tell it to the church? Are we telling it to the church so that we can embarrass this person and make them feel really bad? Are we telling it to the church so that we can be punitive and condemn them before all? No. No. We tell it to the church so that we can get everybody to go to the person and try to rescue them. This is the heart of humility. To come at this text in any other way violates what the first 14 verses were all about, which is it's not about us. We are lowering ourselves and we're concerned about the other person. We're concerned that they've stumbled. We've concerned that they're walking away from God. We're concerned that their faith is damaged and we don't want to see anybody lost. And so I will talk to them and then you will get a few others to talk to them. And then we'll get everybody to talk to them because we need to do everything we can to rescue sheep because it is not God's will for a single person to walk away. And so it becomes a whole effort of everyone. Every action in verses 15 through 17 is a rescue effort, not a punishment or a self-elevation. Every part of that is a rescue effort. And I want you to notice, even in verse 17, it says, And if they will not listen to the church, let them be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Does that mean because we just are really mad at them and we're really upset because they, and so we're going to be mean. No. Why would we do that? Because we want people to know that they're not okay in their sins. So the whole church has to tell them you're not OK. You keep doing that. You're not OK with God. If you keep living that way, you're not OK with God. And we don't want to sit here and pretend that you're OK when you're not OK. The worst thing we can do for you is pretend you're spiritually fine when you're not fine. Just sit there and go, oh, that's, that's great. that's It's fine. And lose your soul. And so it's incumbent upon us to act. Because God doesn't want a single sheep lost. And so in humility, we are pleading. Don't give up on God. And I want you to think about, is this something you can do in a day or a week, all this I hope you get a sense of what a process that is. I've had people before say, well, why don't you just hurry up and, you know, throw them out? Because they're they're doing something wrong. Because that's not the point. (laughs) It's not the point. The point is taking careful steps for rescue. And that's going to be a process. While one person does it, that's a process. I don't believe that means you knock on the door. Hey, stop sitting. No. Okay, next step. (laughs) This is a process. One person, then a couple of people, then the whole church, a process of trying to rescue sheep. This is going to take time. But God doesn't want any of them to be lost and we do that effort. I think such an important picture That we walk in care and we walk in wisdom as we try to extract sheep from the stubborn sin that has engulfed them. This is the picture that is being described in this whole paragraph is that these little ones have stumbled and we must do everything we can to try to bring them back. All right, let me bring in verses 18 through 20. If you want my top 10 peeves, (laughs) this paragraph's it. Verse 18, truly I say to you, whoever, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This context is not a scripture to say you're a church when you go on vacation. This sentence has been so ripped out of context. Hey, right, well, two or three are gathered. So while we're on the lake boating, we're a church and we're enjoying worshiping God. That's not what this is talking about or even close to it. Is it true that you can have a church of two or three? Sure. This is not your text. This is not the point. Please notice what the point is, though. Verses uh, 18 and 19 are telling us that these are binding actions that we as a church are doing. Verse 18, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, wherever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Here's the point of what that saying is. If the whole church is coming to you and saying, we are concerned about your sin and, and, and here you are and you're staying and, and you won't repent and you won't get out of it. Your answer is not supposed to be, well, I think I'm okay, and I guess I'll find another church. He's saying that God himself is involved in this process. That what we are doing as we try to rescue sheep is doing the will of God. And we would never want to sit back and go, well, I I think I'm fine. You know, that church, they're crazy. but that what we're trying to do is to help you. What we're trying to do is rescue you. And I would pray that we would have the humility to listen when anyone here in our spiritual family is trying to help you and pull you out of sin. Please have the humility to listen. And I'm sure, I am sure that we as humans will fail in saying it as exactly as we ought and having the precise wisdom that sometimes we should exercise. But I hope that you would always see the heart in the individual who's coming to you and saying, I'm concerned and that everything that is being done is a part of rescue. All right, let's end it with one big point and three sub points. Big point is this. The life of the Christian is a life of humility. We must lower ourselves for others. We do not elevate self. We do not promote self. We lower ourselves. And Jesus has illustrated that in three ways. Have the humility to not cause stumbling. Have the humility to cut off the sins in your own life. And have the humility to help those who have wandered away. Not because it's that you've been wronged. But you want sheep rescued. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart of humility. Give us a heart that would not think of self. And help us to lower ourselves like these children that we see pictured by Jesus. That we would stoop ourselves down because you did that for us and you lowered yourself on our behalf. Lord, give us the humility to never cause someone to stumble. And Lord, please forgive us for the times where we have inadvertently done that. Forgive us for the times that we have said things that have pushed people further away from you. Help us to be a people who certainly speak the truth, but that we speak it in the love and the heart that you have for sheep. Lord, give us the humility to remove the obstacles and stumbling blocks and causes for sin in our lives. Lord, help us to see that we are not strong enough and that we need your support. Help us to just to see that we are not strong enough and need to remove every idol and every obstacle. And Lord, help us to have the humility to save sheep, to say something if we see someone wandering because we love that person and we don't want to see them eternally lost. Give us that heart, Lord. Forgive us for where we failed and help us to do far better at our humility in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We'll sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to Jesus to turn away from sin, to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. We want you to come to him. It is a, an act of humility in and of itself to submit yourself to him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might. We want to help you in that process. If we can help you in any way, come to the Lord. Or if you need prayers, need encouragement, we would be here to do that as well. Won't you let us know? Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?